Our first scripture reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of John. You'll see it's one verse, so if you don't hurry, you're going to miss it. John 1.23. The context here is that the Pharisees and leaders were asking John the Baptist just who he is. So I'm going to read verse 22 as well as verse 23. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On the wings of a snow-white dove. On the wings of a snow-white dove, he sends his pure, sweet love. A sign from above. Sign from above. On the wings of a dove. Wings of a dove. When troubles surround us, nice. When evil comes, the body grows weak. The spirit grows numb. When things be said us he doesn't forget us he sends down his love sends down his love on the wings of a dove on the wings of a dove on the wings of a snow white dove he sends his pure sweet love a sign Sign from above on the wings of a dove. Wings of a dove. When Noah had drifted on flood many days, he searched for land in various ways. Trouble he had some. Of a dove, wings of a dove, on the wings of a snow white dove, he sends his pure sweet love, a sign from above, sign from above, on the wings of a dove, wings of a dove, when Jesus went down. To the waters that day He was baptized In the usual way When it was done Said God blessed his son He sent him his love Sent him his love of a dove. Wings of a dove. Sing with us. On the wings of a snow white dove, he sends his pure 
love A sign from above Sign from above On the wings of a dove Wings of a dove On the wings of a snow white dove He sends his pure sweet love A sign from above Sign from above On the wings of a dove Wings of a dove A sign from above Sign from above On the wings of a dove Wings of a Well, I want to share with you our scripture. It's an amazing scripture. We're in the book of John. Um, we're starting uh, out there because that's the beginning. Um, John chapter 1, verse 19. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess but confessed freely, I'm not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Are you a prophet? And he answered, no. They finally said, well, who are you? Give us an answer so we can take it back to those who sent us. Who do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah, the prophet, I'm the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now, some Pharisees who'd been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ or Elijah nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He's the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave his testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that uh, the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Now, John knew Jesus, they were cousins, but John didn't know until this very moment in Scripture that Jesus was the Messiah. Today we're going to talk about John the Baptizer, not John the Baptist, okay? John wasn't a Baptist, I just want to make that clear. He wasn't a Presbyterian either. He was a Baptizer. The story starts, well, you know, he had a dad and he had a mom. Most kids, that's where their story starts. John's dad, Zachariah, was a priest. 
He served the temple in full-time ministry. John is, uh, in some ways, a pastor's kid. John was a, has a mom as well. Her name is Elizabeth. Elizabeth is an old woman, and Zechariah is an old man. And they've had no kids. They're barren. There's no hope for them of ever having kids. Well, at least not in the near future. And it caused them some grief and strife. See, in that culture, they had a way of thinking about family and children that's really antithetical to the way our culture now is changing its views about childbearing. Our culture, uh, too many children are an inconvenience that you postpone as long as possible. Millennials are doing that, postponing a long time. And if by chance you do have one, you uh, do all you can to either adopt it out or abort it or pass it on to your parents. You don't want to have kids because kids impinge upon your freedom. But that wasn't the way it was in the Hebrew world. The Hebrew world, world children were gifts from Almighty God. You were happy to have a child, just like it used to be in America. One day, Zechariah uh, goes to serve with his division of priests at the temple. See, they were all divided up in different divisions. And his division was at the temple. And then in his division, his, for the very first time, name was chosen to go in and offer incense to the Lord. He's offering incense to the Lord there in the Holy of Holies. It's all by himself. All the other priests are outside praying and something amazing happens. An angel of the Lord shows up to have a little conversation with Zechariah. He tells Zechariah, now don't worry, God's going to answer your prayers. You're going to have a son. You're going to have a little boy. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. He's going to be a prophet like Elijah. He's going to go out and preach to the entire world. It's going to be unbelievable, and you're supposed to give him the name John. And Zechariah, maybe he'd been optimistic about having a son or a child on a few occasions in his life, but by then, he'd lost his hope, and somehow he communicated that to the angel. Which, let me just say to you, if an angel ever appears to you, don't tell them you don't want to do what they're saying, okay? I just want to say that. Well, the angel said, uh, okay, we'll do it your way. You're going to be mute because you didn't trust God. Kind of like Abraham and Sarah. You're going to be mute until, Zach, until Elizabeth gives birth to this child. And from that moment on, Zechariah couldn't say a word. Now, let me just say this, that during the duration of his wife's pregnancy, not saying a word, he goes back to Elizabeth and he explains to her as best he can with sign language uh, what this amazing thing happens. And I can imagine Elizabeth, this older woman, older woman 
was like, well, Lord, thank you for the two gifts that you've given to me. <laughs> you're going there before I'm there. Thank you for the healthy child that you're going to give me and a mute husband. Thank you, Lord, for both wonderful gifts because there's nothing better than being pregnant with a husband who can't say a word. I was at my son's church on, on Friday night and um, they were doing a movie at his church, outdoor movie, and, and one of the girls that I've known since she was little is now older and she is very, very pregnant. She is great with child. That's what you could say about her when you look at her. And she's still got four more weeks to go. And um, her husband was with her. And uh, she wished, I think, that uh, he had the problem that Zachariah had because he still has a lot of things to say. And I just looked at him and said, boy, at this time, hush up. This is not going to bode well for you the rest of your uh, married life. But that was the best combination for all, for Elizabeth. And her dreams are coming true. She's going to have a child, a boy. Well, then something amazing happens in her life. She discovers that a young teen girl that lives in a dumpy rural town called Nazareth a cousin of hers is pregnant too. Mary, this younger woman, that's just kind of overwhelmed with what God has told her and is doing in her body, well, they come together after a while. Now, John the baptizer's in Elizabeth's womb. Jesus, the Christ, is in Mary's womb. And that's the first time that these cousins come together. There's about six months difference in age of these two uh, uh, babies. And it says that John leapt in his mother's womb. Now that's a beautiful picture because he in the womb filled with the Holy Spirit there in the womb. I don't know how that works, but it works. Uh, knew that he was in the presence of, of his Lord. So when we're told that John was born a few months before Jesus, and Zechariah and Elizabeth do as God instructed, Zechariah learned. They take the boy and raise him in a way that he would come to know and love God and understand the scriptures. He was to follow the Nazarite way. John grows up, and then what does he do? He leaves for the desert. John was kind of a different kind of a guy. People come out. I mean, I mean he wore camel hair, first of all. I don't know if you've ever ridden a camel. That's not fun. And then, and then he ate bugs and ate honey. That was his main meal. Locusts and honey. Have you ever seen what a locust looks like? There's a lot of protein there, but, oh. You know, you, you, I don't want to get too gross here, but you munch on a locust for a while, and locust legs and stick out your teeth. I mean, it's just not a pretty picture. John was a little different than the rest of the people in the, uh, in the community. So there John is. He's preaching out by the river. And people are coming. Hundreds of people are coming. And, and he's talking to them and saying, Hey, uh, 
repent, tell me your sins. And so some of the people do, and he says, oh, come on. That's not all of your sins. What else do you have to tell me? And then they tell him even a little bit more, and pretty soon they're repenting. And God, and, and John baptizes them in repentance. Well, once the leaders of the country figure this out, they, the religious leaders, they come down and start questioning him and asking him all these things. And you heard in our scripture, why are you baptizing when you're not one of these Elijah or, or the Messiah, things like that. And he just says, I'm baptizing for repentance. He who's coming will be baptizing with the Holy Spirit. John's just in a place where he can't believe that God wouldn't meet people's needs. Now let me just stop here for a minute and ask you, do you understand that God wants to meet your needs? Not just some of your needs, but God truly wants to meet your needs. I know he wants to meet the needs of this church. We can go there. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, God, you want to meet the needs of the church. And, and he does want to do that. And, and that's why there's hope for us in finding a new pastor and, and, and growth and all of those things that God would do. But he wants to individually meet your needs as well. Well, we're... listening, listening to the word of God, listening to what God wants to do. Well, John's preaching and there's some that are coming and, and sharing their needs and are getting blessed and are drawing close unto God. Then there's a few uh, different kinds of responses. There's some that, you know, uh, they're urbanites. They came out from Jerusalem and they're there, and they, they really didn't like the way John was dealing with things. A lot of suburban people, they'd say, you know, well, John, he was a little rough. You know, I've got a counselor back in Jerusalem, and, and they listen. And he needs to work on his listening skills. I try to talk about my feelings, and the next thing I know is he's spitting on me and those little bugs in his teeth. I mean, hygiene issues. He's so unusual. He works cheap, sure, and I appreciate that. A few locusts and a little honey, and uh, off he goes. But these people that come to the river, and they don't want what John is talking about. That's the same way with some of us. John is a forerunner of what needs to happen to all of us. We need to repent of our sins, not some of them, not the easy ones, but those ones that are deep down that you're trying to hide from God. You know, in the back closet. You all have a back closet somewhere in your house that hasn't been opened in years, and when you open it, things start to fall out, and you close it really fast. Well, that's in your heart, too. There are places we hide things from God, thinking, Oh, he'll never find it here. And that's not true at all. He'll find it. And then there's the crowd that really dislikes John. 
One of them was a political leader, Herod. He comes from a long uh, family line of punks and thugs and losers. They're kind of like the Roman mafia. Herod was living with his brother's wife, and John had something to say about it. No, 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 to be honest, he had a lot to say about it, and it got John in trouble, put him in prison. As we look at the witness of John the baptizer out in the wilderness, Eugene Peterson uh, called this passage Thunder in the Desert. It was really amazing, 400 years of silence, and now an angel from God speaks, and John shows up. So what are we to learn from this uh, story? First, John was a man and only a man. He wasn't holy. He wasn't God. In verse 6 from last week's scripture, it tells us that, secondly, we are told that he was sent from God. The Greek here uses a very special word. I'm, I don't like to use a lot of Greek words, but this one is really special. It's paratheo from the side of God. And what that means is it, it's understood to mean from the heart of God. John was sent from the heart of God. And importantly, John's name was given by God and it means gracious. He was sent from God <clears throat> with a, a name to match his message. God's grace is now to enter upon the scene, enter upon the world. What was John's mission? Bear witness to the light. He was not, not left on his own to think up a message. His message is Christ is the light of the world, and he's now come. The purpose of his witness is clear, that all men and women through Christ might believe in the light. John was great in the kingdom of God, but he was not the light. John was also not the Messiah, the anointed one. In the days of uh, Jesus, people fervently prayed for the coming of the long-promised Messiah. Under the occupation of the Romans, life was harsh, and people felt that God couldn't wait much longer to fulfill his promise of sending the Messiah. This deep longing left the people gullible. And there were many who claimed to be the Messiah and led gullible followers into rebellion against the Romans, which was not a good thing. The Messiah was thought to be several things. First, nationally, the Jews thought he was to be a leader from David's family and would free the Jewish nation and establish its independence, making it the greatest nation the world had ever known. That's what they thought. Secondly, militarily, he was the great military leader, this new Messiah, who would lead Jewish armies to victory all over the world. Thirdly, religiously, he was to be the supernatural figure straight from God who would bring righteousness all over the earth. And fourthly, personally, he was to be the one to bring peace to the whole world. That's what they thought the Messiah was to do. John also said that he wasn't Elijah. For Elijah was expected to return from the dead to proclaim the coming of the Messiah. He was expecting to warn the people to anoint the Messiah to his kingly office, to raise the dead, and to help select those who were to have a part in the Messiah's kingdom. John denied that he was Elijah, but Jesus 
did identify John with Elijah. John was Elijah in spirit, just not in person. John did say that he was only a voice, a messenger for the world. He talked about the kind of preparation that is needed to get ready for the Lord. First of all, the people needed the concept of the Messiah, their concept of the Messiah straightened out. Their concept of the Messiah had deteriorated. We'd already heard that from other things. John had come to get them spiritually ready for him to really come. Jewish people needed their religion straightened out. Their nation had become formal, lifeless, and institutionalized. They had a form of godliness which denied the power of God. We, too, need to be on watch for this. Where's the power of our faith? I'm going to ask you, where is the power of your faith? Where's the power of Jesus, the risen Lord and Savior, in this church or in your life? Are we still praying for people to come and join us here, to come to faith and join us here in this church? How many times a day do you pray for this? It'll take more from us to ensure we're ready for a new pastor. Let me ask you, are you giving regularly to the ministry and the mission of our church? We've lost some people, but we need everybody to give. We're behind in giving. And maybe we need to think about giving a little more. John was to prepare the people to hear the new message from the Messiah. It was a message of God's love. John's message said, man is sinful and perishing. Man must repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You know what? Same can be said of us today. Second lesson we need to learn is that we need our concept of a savior straightened out. We all are sinners. We too need to repent and we must prepare our lives for the kingdom of God because it's at hand even today. John's message was, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's kind of hard for us today to grasp the full meaning of this announcement. For centuries, the Jews were taught about the idea of a sacrificial lamb. When the Jews heard that of John's proclamation, their minds went back to Abraham and Isaac, where God promised to provide them a lamb for the burnt offering, and he did. They also thought about the Passover lamb where God passed over their homes that horrible night when they lived in Egypt where God saved those whose doorpost was coated with the blood of a lamb. John's announcement was clear that Jesus would be a sacrifice for sin, but they didn't hear it. And our third lesson is that God has provided the lamb for our deepest need. The church today, I, I, we've got to proclaim the same message. The blood of Christ cleanses all our sin. How easy it is to abandon the essentials of the faith. Yes, Jesus Christ came to give abundant life. Yes, uh, Jesus worked miracles and can work miracles in our lives today. But these are the benefits of the gospel. They're not the gospel itself. The gospel, the good news, centers upon 
Jesus Christ as the sin bearer, the Lamb of God that takes away your sin and my sin, the sin of the world. So the big question for each of us today is, is Jesus your Lamb? Do you really believe that he died for you? The Lamb is our message as well. We're called to be witnesses like John was. We're called to point to Jesus with our lives and actions and deeds. Are you pointing people to Jesus? That's our task. In this world, no matter how old or young we are, we point people to Jesus and prepare the way for him in their lives. Will you renew your mission, life mission today, to point people to Jesus and to prepare the way for him? The term disciple occurs 269 times in the New Testament, while the term Christian only occurs three times. We're told that in the book of Acts, chapter 11, that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. The word Christian means one in whom Christ dwells. Here believers stopped calling themselves Jews or Greeks or Gentiles, They took the name of Christ. They were Christ-indwelt ones. We've kind of made these terms, Christian and disciple, interchangeable. We forget or deliberately miss or skip over the fact that the word disciple is, is a Christian, but not every Christian is necessarily a disciple. A disciple is someone who is committed to and who tries to follow and put into practice the teachings and lifestyle of their master, Jesus Christ. So I've got to ask you another one of those questions. Who is your master? If it's Jesus, you've got to become a disciple. John was a man sent from God to be a witness. Witness is used 47 times in this gospel alone. And it's a key concept that we'll look at over and over again. A witness is someone who tells what they have seen, heard, or experienced. Okay, years ago, closing story. A man was accused of biting off another man's ear. There was only one witness, and he was a a major redneck who didn't even arrive on the scene until it was over. The young defense attorney for the accuser said, uh, I've only got to tear down this pumpkin's credibility and my client will walk free. So he called the redneck to the stand. Were you there when the argument standed? No. Were you present when the, it became a fight? No. I just arrived on the scene when it was all over. So you weren't present when the defendant allegedly bit this man's ear off. The man hung his head and admitted, no, I wasn't. The cocky young attorney Uh, strutted back to his seat and said, I rest my case. Just then, the redneck leaned into the microphone and said, but I was there when he spit it out. (laughs) A witness is someone who knows something and then can share it with somebody else. The Bible says that you and I are witnesses of what? Of what we have seen and heard and experienced about Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And we've got to share it. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, help us to learn how to be better witnesses 
to follow the process that John the baptizer did. May we be found when the time comes to be witnesses of what we've seen and heard through the gospel, through Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. We pray this in his holy name. Amen.